exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down I'm C.J. Layton coming to you from inside the Phantom Radio Studios in Lake Wales, Florida home of the premier radio bowling talk show. Long ago, Bowler's Journal International called Phantom Radio a pioneer in the field of bowling podcasts because the show was regularly scheduled at the same time each week. The late Kegel owner, the great John Davis, told Len Nicholson to start this program because, quote, people need to know what you know, end quote. This PBA and bowling writer Hall of Famer has now recorded over 1,200 shows and has featured over 425 guests since 2002. 20 years plus of bowling knowledge, story sharing, and true expertise. Phantom, we need to know what you know. So Phantom fans, here's your host, Len Nicholson, the Phantom. Well, thank you, CJ. And a reminder that Phantom Radio is presented by the Kegel Company. Well, Phantom fans, this week's special guest has been here with us many times before, and over the years, she has coached many top pros and international players. He's also known for thinking outside the box in training and helping bowlers of all levels. And known as one of the top ball drillers in the world, he once drilled for the best on a pro tour for over eight years. And all this experience has led him to develop a revolutionary new method of laying out the grip on a bowling ball, which is known as the tri-grip. He's also developed a glove with Storm called the Power Glove, and he was probably the very first person to recognize that the reactive series of bowling balls were absorbing lane oil from the bowling lane. He's always busy learning and teaching. So let's get him out here and see what he's up to now. So, Phantom fans, here he is again, Mr. Bill Hall. Hiya, Bill. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm fine. You know, we finally got some rain up here in Northern California, and uh, we really need it. We got a lot of smoke in the mountains, and I'll tell you, the air quality is terrible, but you know, it could always be a lot worse. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about last week. Uh, we may have broken all the records for last week's show in the amount of emails and texts we got about Brian Voss. Man, you did a heck of a job with him, and I haven't forwarded you a few of them, but are you ready for part two? Absolutely. Let's get to it. <laughs> you got so much stuff in that brain of yours that I want to pull out. And I know the customers do too. All the listeners, uh, they love it when I have you on the show. You're always teaching something. But, you know, be, be, before starting, I got a few texts from people saying that they thought you were a little bit vague about the details of the physical game that Brian has. So I don't know exactly what they mean, but you might, but can you go into a little bit more detail about that? 
Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> I know that's one of the big deals. <laughs> okay, so let's go by the the obvious, or maybe not so obvious. I don't really know. Um, when it came to controlling, to say again, I don't like the term push away. I like to call it setting the swing in motion. So when he was setting the swing in motion, it was a thing of beauty to watch how much he actually controlled it, the pace of it, the direction of it, the length of it with his left hand. I know people think that you're right-handed, but actually when you're bowling, you're controlling so much more with your left. And he was an absolute master at it. That control of setting the swing at the pace and the direction and the distance that he wanted translated to how he could control his foot speed. Well, there's not that many people that recognize that he would have different foot speeds for different swing lengths and different paces that he put the ball into the swing with. But one of the other things that I think, you know, we hear different verbiage and I have my own. Um, I'm not real big on square to the foul line. I'm real big on square to your hips. Um, but he never got, he never charged the foul line with his right side, meaning he never got his right side ahead of his left. Just like if you're sitting there right now, if you turn your right side back, your hand will rotate in position or open what people call open. I call it more square to the body. He, he never got the right side ahead of the left, especially coming through the bottom of the swing. When he was able to do those combinations, he would then be able to control how much he wanted to add revs and take away revs. I mean, he, he was an absolute master at it, and I don't think he gets a lot of credit um, for what his abilities were in manipulating his physical game so he could manipulate the way he wanted the ball to react to the lane. Um, I don't know if anybody taught it to him. I know I gave him a little bit of information about it. Not a whole bunch, because you have to allow a player to translate and to absorb it the way that they want to. The other thing that is unbelievable is if you go and look, one of the things that he was able to do was to balance perfectly on the slide leg. His weight was always centered right around the knee, his left knee. So his, when he's going through the bottom of the swing, his head didn't hardly move at all. And when you watch a lot of the players of today, their head drops right, their head picks up, or they shove it to the left, or they lunge it forward. Well, how can you see a, a, a path of the ball that you're trying to control the ball on if the angle and the way the, the angle of your eyes and the way your head is moving, how can you control it and get it online if the angles look different and the leverage points are different? That's for sure. You know, uh, one of the other guys, well, all the top players basically had a pretty still head, but one of the best was Marshall Holman. So I'll never forget watching him. <laughs> if you put a glass of water on his head, same thing with Brian, and that water would never drop. 
unbelievable. And, you know, and that's, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of control with the muscles, and they do create quite a bit of tension. But when it's done properly, like a Marshall Holman, oh, my God, that's poetry in motion. <laughs> um, and a Brian Voss and a Norm Duke, Pete Weber, and the list, Earl Anthony, I mean, Mike Albee, Steve Cook, you just go through all the grades. They had very controlled swings, but because it was done the right way, it looked really loose. When in reality, if you break it down, it was extremely, extremely rhythmic. Boy, that's for sure. You know, uh, and you mentioned that yeah, we could talk for, for hours and hours about the total physical game that Brian had, you know, and Norm had, and even Danny and the, all the top superstars. But, you know, uh, I, I got to ask you one thing that you've talked a little bit about Brian's physical game, but what other attributes does he have that you would want every other player to have also? I don't think you can put it in one one word or here's the two that would stand out the most. One, tenacity. The guy would never give in, never gave up. I've, you know, you watch a lot of guys and, and even the women where, you know, they drop their heads, they look dejected. And uh, I don't ever recall Brian doing that. He had a tenacity about him that – if he wasn't doing it well, he was going to find a way to make it better. And that is something that I, you know, you can say I'm knocking the current generation. You can call it whatever you want. I really don't care. I don't see that in very many players. You saw it in a Danny Wiseman. You saw it in a Norm Duke. And again, we can go through a huge list of Johnny Petraglia, somebody like that. They had this ability to put it on themselves make their bodies perform. So they were very tenacious in the way that they approached things. There wasn't this, well, you know, I don't know how to do that. Or, well, I don't know how to do this. There was always this tenacity to go to the next level to find out how they could get their bodies to do that, how they can control this, how can they control that. So it's, it's one of those things that's, very hard to put a label on. But the other thing is, I would say, is honesty. And you've mentioned it before. You know, he didn't go and say, well, the lanes were oiled for me this week. Oh, the lanes weren't oiled for me this week. Oh, somebody played my line. Oh, somebody moved over here. Someone used a sanded ball. Um, Brian didn't go down that path, which is a path that I think is way too common right now, is, okay, somebody threw a ball where I play. Well, you're, you're not the only one that's allowed to play there. <laughs> are allowed to move. They're allowed to use whatever they want to use in order for, to benefit their scores. Your job is to find a way to use what they're doing and what you know how to do to generate a higher score. Isn't it the whole pur purpose of the game? <laughs> Boy, that's so simply put, but it's so true. I love it. You know, Parts, I got to mention something about uh, one of our great friends and old timers, Glenn Allison. Uh, he wants me to make a special announcement for him. He's got the, a new shirt out. So we want you to get your pencils and paper ready 
And here's your chance to get one of his one-of-a-kind souvenirs. It's a brand-new Glenn Allison 900 shirt, and you can enjoy a discount from Phantom Radio. And this 900 shirt has an image of Glenn on it saying, 900, I did it. So call his friend and manager, Jerry Hale, to order it at 714-309-7587. And be the first in your area to get this historic souvenir shirt. Remember to call Jerry at 714-309-7587. And be sure to mention Phantom Radio for your discount. And he says he wants everybody to have a good day and bowl well. All right, Barge, there's uh, one thing that I do want to know about Brian that uh, is hard for others to recognize with his approach to bowling. Do you know what that secret is? Man, that guy had an unbelievable amount of control over the flat spot at the bottom of the swing. There's, uh, he could, I remember, and it was the year him and Pete Weber won, or uh, finished second, because Pete Weber, I don't know if people, it was at the Showboat Lanes. Which reminds me of a story. I'll bring that up in a minute. Um, the He went across the entire house. Now, if you knew anything about the showboat, 1 through 22 hooked at your feet, no matter what they did. 23 through 46 was definitely the most consistent and higher scoring part of the center. And then when you went from 47 to 70, um, you could have a great pair, bad pair, didn't, you know, you, you never really knew because the topography, again, going back um, to years ago, we called it lane shape, but he went across the whole center and played the exact same part of the lane, but the ball rolled different in each section. <laughs> yep. So he was able to control that. And he didn't change equipment. He used the same ball. If I remember right, it was a black angle. He didn't, you know, like switch out equipment all the time, but he knew exactly how he wanted to attack each part of the center. And so he would always control the bottom of the swing, whether it was a longer flat spot, a little bit more V'd, you know, hitting the ball more at the crotch, hitting it a little bit more in front of the crotch, going from the kind of getting out of it a little bit early to skate the ball down the lane. So he'd hit it further. He'd get the release motion started further back. And I remember watching that throughout that week and it was just something to marvel at. I thought it was phenomenal, but because it wasn't on TV, um, not a lot of people got to see it. I mean, just the people that were there. But it's one of the fascinations I've had with his game ever since I saw him bowl for the first time and his mastery of being able to control the window at the bottom of the swing. It's not something that you would see on TV because normally by then you see him already playing a certain part of the lane. So you didn't see how they developed it. People just look at the score. Well, when you break him down, he was able to do all kinds of things at the bottom of the swing. <laughs> you know, I was going to say, I wish I had a quarter for every time somebody asked me why we didn't do the low end like we did the high end. You know, that place was, like you say, it was four different sections, uh, the age of that place, uh, the add-ons of the different lanes and different installations. Uh, but you're right. 
four different uh, areas, and then they had the pavilion over there. That was totally different, too. But, yeah, if you could go, go across that house and manipulate the ball in all the four different sections, you were a total winner because there were some rookies, guys that bowled regionals only, that went there, never knew there was a difference across the house. They just complained. They hooked more or they were tighter or whatnot. But it was fun. <laughs> I used to just shake my head when they'd come to me and say, how come you didn't oil the low end like you oiled the high end? <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, the, the low end was there before your mother was born, you know. So, <laughs> Man, that end, that end of the building, especially lanes 21 and 2, hooked at your feet. I don't care what you did. You could have put a gallon there, and it still would have done the same thing. It didn't matter. You know, I've been asked that question a million times, and I'm going to reveal the secret because the place is gone. But, you know, there was a garbage dump behind 21 and 2 outside where you took all the garbage, and there was no double door there. You open that door, and if it was 110 degrees outside, the 110 came rushing in, and it also brought in a lot of sand with it. And that sand would get distributed under the lane, and right there on 21 and 2, causing a lot more friction. And so not only would the sand and, and the heat dry up that lane, but it would play totally different. They want to know how come we missed that pair, why we did something different. I just pointed at the door and walk away because my voice was hoarse. But, <laughs> you know, there are pairs like that around the country. Uh, we called them bastard pairs because they didn't play right. They played differently uh, for a lot of reasons not necessarily the way they were oiled. But you said something there that was kind of cool. Uh, you got my ears cropped up. You said you might have had another story, something funny or unusual about the showboat. What was it, Barnes? Well, you know, when we worked the showboat, what people didn't realize is when we're working in the truck, we pulled a lot of double duty. I mean, you got to remember the field was always large. It was a massive bowling center. So we would spend the time drilling the bowling balls, but it is the double duty, we had to go up and check in the bowling balls. Well, we're up there checking in, and I was working with Kurt Schmidt. I didn't, I don't remember where Larry was, and then uh, I believe it was Randy Stoughton. He was down finishing up some stuff in the truck. So we're up there, and we're kind of, the line's long, and we've got a squad coming on. So we're not... Not, not not paying attention, but we're kind of going th quick through weighing them in. I don't want to say the player's name, but he was a veteran. And he says, well, how do you know that these bowling balls are legal? You're rushing through. And Brian Voss looked at him. He goes, he just drilled them. I'm pretty sure he knows whether they're legal or not. <laughs> oh, I love it. I mean, there was just, he's just got a dry sense of humor and, you know, he would chime in when he wanted and he would basically be quiet most of the time. Yeah. He, really an intelligent guy, a uh, great guy, sense of humor. He was dead serious when he was out there bowling. I know he took golf up the same way he took up the bowling. And uh, you mentioned the locker room. Uh, this isn't about Brian. But just to give you an idea about the bowlers, uh, there were so many characters out there. Uh, we used to keep track of all the balls that they used. We put it on a card, 
And over a course of time, uh, they'd break out a ball that they haven't used for six months. It was on their card. So this one fellow, whose name was Matt Serena, he was a character. He came in one day and he says, Lenny, Lenny, look at this ball. And I looked at it. I go, yeah, it looks round. What about it? He goes, look at the serial number. And it was a Columbia ball. And it was a serial number was 2-2-2-2-2-2-2. And he walked around the locker room going, to-to-to-to-to. And he got named. He was unbelievable. And there were there were so many characters out on the tour, and I think uh, the, the, just the sense of humor and the com- I don't know about nowadays. I really don't. Um, the camaraderie, yeah, they were out there cutting each other's throat out on the lanes. But most of these guys, if you had an issue or there was something up where you need a little bit of you know whether it be emotional support, financial support, or just you know somebody to hang with. There was always someone there for you at that time. Again, I can't speak for today. Now, uh, I got a great quick one for you about camaraderie. You know, there was they didn't pay you enough out there on the road uh, to room by yourself. So you had a room with somebody to kick back on expenses. And uh, there were guys, I, I room with righties and lefties. And sometimes they'd get in heated arguments with each other because they thought one side or the other had an advantage. And I'd see best of friends almost coming to blows. And uh, one particular week, uh, they did. They they came to blows in the room, black eye, hep, uh, fat lip, the whole bit. And at the end of the week, the guy that knocked the other guy down, he cast, the other guy didn't. And the guy that threw the best punches, he paid the other guy's room. He says, ah, I cast, you didn't. You know, that was a bad day. We'll forget about it. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> believe it. He, got, he, he almost knocked his teeth out, and he says, I'll pay for your room. That's how much they were all friends, you know, when it came right down to it. It was beautiful, and I, I still miss it. I bet you do, too. I miss those days. Um, I would never do it again, <laughs> but I would never trade it for anything in the in the world either. It was just an unbelievable experience. Yes, it was. Uh, it's a young man's game. I couldn't do it either myself anymore. Because uh, not only was it a, a hard job, but you didn't get much sleep because you didn't want to miss anything. Because you know? so, there was always something going on. Well, you know, I, I like to still tease Lich, Larry Lickstein. I still like to tease him and say, man, you were a slave driver and I really wish I worked by the hour. <laughs> oh my god yeah we, we've both been millionaires by now probably absolutely <laughs> well Bart, i'm looking at the old clock on the wall uh you got any closing statement you want to make i mean this last six weeks has been a complete complete honor but it's given me a different perspective all of these players have basically thrown their last shot they're no longer competing on the PBA tour. Maybe the seniors here and there. And it made me realize there was the time that they stepped, their, their final time stepping off of the approach. And it's made me realize that, you know, probably not in the near too distant future, it'll be from time for me 
to step away from being behind the approach. We all reached that point. You know, it's something that I'm not ready to do it at this moment, but it certainly is now in the back of my mind, knowing that there will be that one last lesson. And that time, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that time is going to come for everybody, whether you're throwing it, drilling it, teaching it, oiling lanes, fixing machine, it doesn't matter. There will be that one last time. And I've come to the realization that at one point, there's going to be one last time for me too. Well, that's one of the main reasons I want to get all these on tape. So we've got it forever. You know, if you happen to retire, I can always go back into the files, bring out one of your old shows, because the basic instruction that you give uh, are going to be there forever because it, it's all part of the uh, biology of the game, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, there's no shortcuts. There are a few different guys nowadays that throw it two-handed. A couple of guys throw it harder. A couple of guys throw it, uh, you know, gutter to gutter. But it's still a basic same game. You can't get lucky and, and win titles on the PBA Tour. But Pards, I really enjoy all your uh, lessons that you pass along. I wish we both had time to do more books, but that takes a lot of time because I've done it a couple of times and it's an all-night job for a year or two. But Phantom fans, the old clock at the wall does say that we're out of time and I appreciate uh, Billy coming in for six weeks, two weeks each on three of the greatest players of all time telling us their inside and out about them. And we look forward to talking to all of you again next week. We'll have another great guest to talk to. And want to thank our sponsors, Storm Bowling and Brad Edelman from the High Roller and Dave Kowalski, the bowling guru from Michigan. And I'm sure we're going to have Billy back again in the near future because he knows all the players. He's got all the answers. And Billy... If anybody wanted to come to Vegas and they're on their way, they want to get a hold of you, how can they get a hold of you, Pards? The easiest way is through email, which is bowlforit, B-O-W-L-F-O-R-I-T, at yahoo.com. Because nowadays, unless I know who's calling, I don't answer the phone. There's just <laughs> many spam calls out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, get a hold of them. Want to improve your game? There's no question about it. He can help you. <laughs> All right, from Phantom Radio, this is a Phantom. When you're down and troubled and you need some loving care And nothing, well, nothing is going right Close your eyes and think of me And soon I...